It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. My name is Eric McCabe and you're listening to the Chain Clankers podcast. Welcome in everybody to the Chain Clinkers Disc Golf Podcast. We've got an exciting one with you guys today. We've got the 2010 World Champ on the podcast. We've got the Disc Golf Course Design God, Eric McCabe, joining us here today. But before we get into that, I want to tell you a little bit about Upper Park Disc Golf. Right now, this Halloween, the spooky season, it's the best time to get your new disc golf bag. Over at Upper Park Disc Golf, you can use promo code CLINKERS. Save yourself that 15% at checkout. I I personally love the Rebel bag. It's got all the storage and capacity needs for me, and you will love it as well. Again, use promo code CLINKERS at checkout. Save yourself 15% and get your next favorite bag. Like I said, today we are talking to Eric McCabe on the podcast. Super excited to get another Kansas boy on the podcast. Eric, how are we doing tonight? I'm doing great, man. It's it's finally starting to cool down a little bit. You know, we're not hitting those triple digits like we have been all summer long. I feel like I, I don't know about you, but I truly feel like it's been a hot, hot summer. Right? It feels like it's been uh, like just hotter than it has been in many, many years. So it's nice to have some. Like right now, it's 75 degrees outside. A little wet, but 75 degrees nonetheless. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited for some fall disc golf for sure. Yeah, I agree. And I feel like fall disc golf and spring disc golf are the two best times to play. And I feel like we really haven't gotten much of a fall this year. Like you said, I mean, folks, it has been excruciatingly hot. You probably experience this wherever you're at as well. But like Eric said, I mean, it was uh, it's been 100 degrees every day up until the start of October. Then we got 80s and it's kind of been hovering around there for the most part. Um, so I think we got about 60, I, we got some 50s and 40s this next week that are coming. We got a high of 36 on Sunday coming up, so that's going to be great. Yeah, that's going to be a culture shock. Um, yeah. I don't know if I'm quite ready for that. I think this nope. was a year I've decided, you know what, maybe I am more okay playing disc golf in the heat than I am in the cold, because at least my hands are workable in the heat where not so much in the cold i can have as many gloves and heat warmers on me it just uh, it's just not quite there i agree Um, i'll take the heat over the cold anytime and you know about a month maybe not even maybe two weeks into winter i'm already going to be wishing it was 100 degrees outside so that's just just how it works right Yes, absolutely. I do think that is a advantage of Kansas, at least. At least we do get four different seasons. Uh, yes, Sometimes they are Sometimes in the same day. That is, <laughs> yes, ungodly true. Oh, man. Um, 
it's been monsoon season over the last couple days. Uh, I mean, Eric said uh, before we were recording this, he got upwards of 11 inches of rain mm-hmm. in Emporia. We got about five-ish inches here in Wichita, so they uh, more than doubled us. And so when you guys have that much rain, I mean, how long before you're back out there on the course? Um, are you waiting it for it to dry up at all, or are you just putting on some bad shoes and thugging it out? It depends, right? Like if it's a league that I'm playing, I play a, a league every Thursday night up here in Emporia. And if it's, I'll go no matter what conditions are. And, and, and this time of year with the rain and everything, I've kind of switched my focus from player to coach since I'm the, the I am the head coach at Emporia State University as well. And uh, our season actually kicks off this weekend in, in Augusta. So we're, uh, we're out there on the course practicing, getting things ready for that. So that's, that's rain or shine, man. You know, you know how that is. So um no i'm not i'm not afraid of weather i would say if there's a tournament maybe i wouldn't play it if i if i have the opportunity or or option to pull out of that's that's possible but um you know i've done my time of of playing in just awful weather uh throughout my career and it's uh just it's not very enjoyable anymore you know you're you're more injury prone uh you just don't play to your ability you get frustrated it's you know, it kind of you kind of refocus on why am I even out here? You know what I mean? So, uh, casual rounds is one thing, or if I'm going out to work on something, or if I'm playing a big event that I know is going to be just crappy weather, I'll go practice in it for sure. But for the most part, I'm, I'm the older I get, the more fair weather I become. I think. Yeah, understandable. Are you guys going to Knockwood, or are you going to the uh, it's park course? Park course. Nice. Yes, it's the park course. So I don't, I don't know that the other one was available for us to play in this weekend. Originally, this this tournament was supposed to be down in Pittsburgh, Kansas, oh. uh, at their at their university course there, and nobody had played it yet. I don't know if you've been down there and played it yet, but apparently it's it's not ready for a tournament per se. Hmm. Uh, there's a lot of tee pads relatively close to baskets. Just. Kind of a, a designer's nightmare, actually. Um, I don't know who designed it. I don't know anything about the course. But uh, it was a little just uh, unsafe. And uh, actually, the Pitt State team that was going to be there, they went to another tournament up in Michigan this weekend. So they weren't even going to be there. So it sounds like they decided just to relocate it to uh, to Augusta, which Augusta's great. It's it's closer to home, at least, so we don't have as far of a drive. That's That's, you know, that's one positive, I guess, I'll take from it. Yeah, I'll say that Augusta course that you guys are playing is definitely slept on in the area. I really do like mm. that course. Um, yes. It's got a lot of positives to it, some things that can be cleaned up, obviously, but the city of Augusta has really poured a lot of effort into it and have attempted to make it better every single year that I've been around Wichita. So a uh, big fan of that. So I'm interested to learn a little bit more about uh, college disc golf then. Yeah. So is there a tour that all the teams are on like you know d1 football everyone yes everyone plays you know at that level like are there different tours or events like for example i debated in college and there would be like our kind of midwest-ish tour that we would kind of go through so we'd go up and down the midwest sure we'd go out west sometimes is it kind of similar to that or how, how does that work um it's similar but uh, it's it, it's not divisional. It, well, it is divisional and it's not divisional. There's not different tours. It's typically the same tour across the board. Um, so as Emporia State, we're a D2 team. We're a D2 school, I should say. But we aren't limited to competing against 
other D2 schools. We compete against everybody. We're out there competing against Wichita State, um, yep. KU, K-State, Missouri, uh, all the, the big schools, right? And there's there's different conference, conferences across the country, and it's not the same conferences you would think, right? It's not like the Big 12 and the ACC or anything like that. I think ours is the mid western or mid regional i can't even remember the name of it there's just so many different conferences out there but uh we're in a conference and we are in a conference with like wichita state uh kuk state oklahoma oklahoma state missouri those this region basically has all these schools that just kind of go and compete in it and the event that we're playing in this weekend is just a conference event it's i say just a conference event you know you still get points and and all that towards going to nationals, but it's not a regional event. The regional events are the ones that we really want to focus on and, and go and compete at. Those are the bigger ones that you're going to find in bigger cities. We, we're actually going to host one here in Emporia uh, March 2nd and 3rd over at the club. So that's going to be a very exciting one. And I think we have like three or four bids to give away for the D1 and then the D2 is what they're called, which is weird because it's D1, D2, but it's not conference D1, D2. It's kind of like your your A team and your B team, right? So uh, it, it's it's very it, – it's unique. I'll say that. So our, our, our D1 team is what we call it, our A team, I guess. There's no ratings cap. You can have pretty much whoever you want on it with the exception of – you can't be like a former touring professional or have won an A tier and above, those kind of things. Um, but there's no real ratings cap on it. I think there's a, a dollar amount that you can't have made this X amount on tour. Uh, but then the D2 team, your your average can't be higher than 950 uh, PDJ player rating. So that, that portion of it gets to be a little more challenging because... Emporia State, you know, shout out to them because they are, they're really, they're doing it, right? They're, they're going above and beyond this. They're, they're under athletics. So I actually work with the athletics, the AD. Uh, We have monthly head coaches meeting where I'm sitting in a room talking budgets for disc golf and the football team. Like it's insane. It blows my mind to sit in these meetings every day, right? But most, most universities are still under clubs, not necessarily under the athletic umbrella like we are, but I've got I've got ten kids. Um, all of them have a scholarship to play, and wow. I'm I'm employed by Emporia State University to to be the the coach. Like I'm on their payroll, and it's a uh, it's a unique experience. Uh, I I use the phrase a lot. Uh, we're we're building the plane as it flies is kind of how we're doing it. But we're trying to get you know the word out there and petition the NCAA to recognize us as a sport, so more universities can catch on and and show that it works right i mean and honestly what better place than emporia kansas to do this where we have the the reach we have the courses that we need for it we have pretty much everything that we need in place for something like this to happen so it's i i always i've always thought that emporia was the perfect size of community for disc golf because it's not too big where it gets lost in the cracks but it's not too small where you know, there's not enough park systems or, or potential spots for courses, you know. So, I mean, just a couple of years ago, Glassblown Open, when we had 1,600 competitors come to town, you know, the, the economic impact on that for Emporia, Kansas alone was something like $2.4 million or something like that for the community. So, obviously, you can see why a community like Emporia really embraced disc golf and, and really wants to take it to that next level. And, and Emporia State is, is doing the same thing. 
Yeah, I mean, with those kind of numbers, I definitely can understand that. And I think that's what's so amazing about Emporia is that the whole town truly is behind it. Every time I've gone there, there's always a business with a basket out front. It, mm-hmm. it is really special to see. And that's interesting. And I hope that that petition works and the NCAA does inevitably recognize disc golf at the college level because I think that is a very interesting key to the growth of disc golf Mm -hmm. because you're now giving these athletes an option of do you want to go play baseball or do you want to do disc golf? You could do both. You're giving more optionality. You're giving it a bigger stage. It's you start getting high schools that start having coaches, start having tournaments, leagues, all those things. And I really think that disc golf, yes, they disc golf, when I say they captured a good percentage of the market from COVID good or bad. But now as the years are starting to get away from the big boom, those numbers might be starting to come back down a little bit. And so if you can attack at a youth level that will constantly continue to turn new players, uh, that's massive for the sport. Mm -hmm. It's almost a lifeline for the sport. I agree a hundred percent. I mean, you know, last year we we went out to nationals. We were able to go compete at nationals, and our our athletic director, uh, David Spradford, actually flew out there for the final day just to come out and watch. Like, there's not another university that that would do that, you know. Especially with other other sports going on in the spring. I mean, he he he's all in, and you know, obviously we have a new president um, recently, a new president out there, and he's. He's he's diehard sports. He loves everything sports, and and he was all good to go from uh, from day one of, of of this disc golf dream to um, to bring it under the athletic umbrella and uh, make it into something big. And hopefully, other universities can catch on and say, "Hey, it works here. Why can't it work here? Why can't we do this?" You know. And there's funding out there. There there truly is some funding out there for it. And um, you know, one one quick little cool story about it is. Uh, our, our team was really relatively easy to put together the first year. We had a tryouts and everything. Um, the men, that was easy. There was plenty of guys that wanted to be on the team. The women's side was a little more challenging, I would say. We had, I had one girl that was interested, and she was actually on the volleyball team as well. So she was a dual-sport athlete, right? So she came over and played, but you got to have two women in order to compete. And uh, one day I just got an email from a girl who said, Hey, I heard you needed another girl. I'm willing to try, and and uh, this girl had never touched the disc in her life. Didn't even know what disc golf was, you know, until coming to Emporia. And um, I said, "Yeah, we need it. Let's go." You know, if 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 you're serious about it, let's let's make this happen. And uh, her first experience of disc golf. So the first two, actually, the first one was a clinic by Ricky Wysocki. So that was like her first introduction to disc golf. Her second introduction was our first tournament, which we competed in Jonesboro over there at the uh, the big course over there, and she played singles on that course. That's her wow. first experience in disc golf, and it just it blows my mind, and she's addicted now. She, she was a senior last year. She graduated. She enrolled to get her master's degree at Emporia State University only to play disc golf. So, like, that's – you know, if that's reaching one person, there's no no reason why we can't reach more and more of these athletes, these young kids that um, maybe don't even know about the sport, but it gives them another option. You know what I mean? Because not everybody can compete at the the. Uh, if you're an if you're an athlete, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be a walk on at a football 
team or a baseball team. But, you know, if you're athletic and you got some ability, you can learn some disc golf and, and maybe fall in love with it like some of my students have. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. That is such an unreal and amazing story. And it's pretty cool. It, it makes sense also. I mean, disc golf is very addicting. And I, I will say, I feel like the barrier to entry, I'll compare disc golf to baseball, is easier. You can throw a disc easier than you can hit a 90-mile-per-hour fastball. And yes. so, okay, a lot of baseball, washed-up baseball players, we can retool and we can get you to be pretty decent at disc golf. And so mm-hmm. then the team this year, so you've got that girl. Do you have uh, – are, are you out there recruiting? Are you going to youth events trying to, to get so, freshmen? So it's it's tough, right? Because really the, the best spot, I think, to go to like recruit would be like junior worlds, amateur mm. worlds or something like that, right? But I think word has got out enough that that we're doing this, and there's there's scholarships on the line that I didn't have to recruit really anybody this year. It was more of who's going to be on the team, you know, out of my my guys at least, my eight guys. And um, you know, last year's team was phenomenal. We we lost one tournament last year, and it, it was unfortunately the the final hole of oh, the wow. national championship. So. You know, we're hungry, obviously, for this year. And uh, on that D1 team, we have two students back on that team. And then the new two ones that came in, TJ Reel uh, from Illinois, and then Isaiah Esquivel, which I know you being from Kansas know who Isaiah Esquivel is. And he's yep. just a phenomenal uh, phenom from, from Emporia. He's young. He's a freshman. Um, wanted to go to school, wanted to be a part of this thing. So having him back on that team is – or having him – be on the team is is huge like the kid has competed out there at dgpt events he's cashed at dgpt events like man i'm 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 very excited to see where we can go with this team this year and and then our d2 team is is right on that 950 threshold so they're all going to be very competitive as well and uh our our ladies rebecca the lady i talked about before is on the team and then atlanta kruger uh who moved here from california but I'm, I'm constantly answering emails from my ESU um, email uh, about parents emailing me, your kids emailing me, hey, my kid wants to come to school next year. We have, a, we have a, um, a tour lined up for Emporia State next week. I'd love to meet you and talk to you, play around, whatever. And, and uh, yeah, it's been, it's been crazy. It's, it's, you know, from, from day one of hearing about, you know, hey, you want to be the coach at Emporia State University to what it is now, it's been phenomenal. It's just been it's been like another kind of check mark off of what I've what I've done in my career 
that I, I, one, didn't know if I would ever do or didn't even know I wanted to do until I did it, right? Kind of like the course design side of things. Didn't even know I was like really passionate about it until I started getting more involved and doing that more. Same thing with this coaching deal. It's, it's been phenomenal. Yeah, that sounds absolutely amazing. And folks, we will circle back to the course design after after this discussion. But how does a team win in a disc golf collegiate event? How do you win a tournament? So it's it's interesting. We'll just say it's interesting, the scoring and how things work. So typically, like for instance, the event we're playing this weekend is it's two rounds. The first round, everybody competes in singles. It's just a singles round, so it's a C tier for all those players. It's it's treated just like a normal PDGA event for all those students. And then you have your team. So our four guys that are on a team, they'll take their average of their four round or their, their singles rounds. They'll take their average from that, and that is their team round going into the next round. So you can have, like, mm-hmm. one really good player and then one player that kind of, you know, is maybe not quite as good, but, you know, could bring down that, that – that uh, the average a little bit more. So having four quality players or at least four average players on your team is really what you're looking for there that, that kind of have similar competitive drive. So that's how the first round works. The second round, the team format is very unique. So you have all four guys on a team, two guys are partners, and then the other two guys are partners. Um, so these two guys, we'll, we'll say how we're going to play it. We're going to say Isaiah and Justin. These two guys are our partners. They're all four, obviously, on the team. But but Isaiah and Justin will tee up on the odd holes. Cade and TJ will tee up on the even holes. And they'll play best shot, alternate shot. So on hole one, when Justin and Isaiah throw their tee shot, um, whichever one that they want to play from there, the next two guys play at the next shot. And then it's alternate shot from there, right? And then get the hole two, it's the other two guys. So it's a little confusing at first. When I first heard it's going to be alternate shot, I just thought it was, you know, all four guys on the card and they're all just throwing alternate shots, which I think would probably be better than it is than the way they kind of have it. I think it would even the field a little bit more. Um, But for us, we loved it because our team was just like just on the same wavelength, right? They all thought the same, had very similar skill sets. So, you know, it's 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 strategic in in the sense of, you don't want to have your two best putters or your two best drivers kind of on the same team. If you've got one that's a little weaker on the putting side but can throw a heck of a forehand and then vice versa, that makes a great partner for that that particular team. So, uh, And that just plays as regular stroke play. So it's, it's a little unique how everything works out. It took me some time to figure it out and actually see it in person to understand how it works. But uh, that's how the guy side works. The ladies are just singles their average round, and then they just play best shot doubles because there's only two of them. Okay. So let me just make sure I understood the guy yep. side. So yep. are there eight folk on a whole, two yep. colleges, two universities, yep. and so then uh, A and B of Emporia State will throw, and then on the next shot, C and D throw? So, or A and B finish the hole, and then on the next hole it's C and D um, so, so it, it's so odds and even. So like if, if this is team one or this is yep. the, the two guys, this is the two guys. These guys are throwing every tee shot from the odd hole. Okay. These guys tee off on every single even hole, no matter what, who put it out on the hole before. When these guys tee off on the odd hole, 
these guys throw the next shot. If it's a par oh, three okay. and they miss the putt, then these guys yep. putt out, right? But so that's how it works. So it's it's best shot out of these two, and then it's alternate shot the rest of the hole. Okay. So it's I it's a little unique, and it's not the entire eightsome. It, it is an eightsome on each each card when you have you know two universities representing you know each card. So there's a lot of people out there. But um, but no, it's 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 just like a foursome basically. It's just like a foursome or or a round of doubles. That's really all that it is. It's just a little unique, and I think to see it in person really does help. Yeah, yeah, yeah. After the second explanation, I think I, I follow now. That is definitely yeah. a very unique uh, way of playing. And so let's say mm-hmm. Emporia State averages four down here at Augusta this weekend mm-hmm. and for the singles round. They'll start there, and then from there, yeah, everyone with their averages, whomever – then has the lowest score, they win the tournament, and yep. so on and so forth. And so earlier you had mentioned like a point system. How does that come into play? So it's it's not necessarily a point system as much as it is um, you go to events, you get, you get uh, kind of recognized, you get ranked on the College Disc Golf, which is a, there's a website, collegediscgolf.com. You can go there and check out all the rosters and, and uh, rankings. And they actually do... Uh, they actually will rank singles players as well uh, from each team, and that's where the singles rounds kind of you know go through. But how it works is the more and more events you play, the more recognition you get from college disc golf. So at the end of the year, uh, if you if you happen to not go to a regional event or whatever reason you don't qualify for it, I think it's like the top the top ten get an automatic invite um, to nationals. So uh, it's it's really unique. Um, I don't, I think we're actually, somebody had told me that I think we were like ranked towards the bottom right now, but that's because we haven't played an event this year. And I don't even know if our, our rosters even submitted to them just yet because everything's been pushed back this year. Um, but yeah, last year we were, we were ranked number one, number two all year long. And then, uh, just, just came up just short, man, just, just came up short out there at North Cove and uh, it, it was a little disappointing for all of us, but um, at the end of the day, we're, we had no expectations going into the year and what we were going to do. We just wanted to go out and have a good time, and we did that, and um, now we've, we've set our sights a little higher for this year, I think. Yeah, understandable. Yeah, I am trying to roll through here, and uh, they just simply don't have a number one team. It starts out at number two for Cincinnati. Um, and they, so that's... they won. They won last year. Cincinnati okay. is who who ended up uh, beating us uh, last year. So it makes sense that they'd be number one. I don't know if they have the same team back or not, but uh, yeah, I, I think their their website could use a little help. I think uh, it's kind of tough to navigate, but um, yeah, it's just one of those things. That's amazing. I genuinely had no idea any of this existed, and this seems. So, so much fun. I definitely wish I knew. I, I mean, I don't know. How, how prevalent has this all been? Has this really just kind of taken off in the last couple of years since 2020? Or I think the last few. The few years. I mean, it's been going on for a while now. Um, but I think you're getting more and more players involved. Uh, some bigger names are kind of coming out of that college scene. Austin Hannum. Um, uh, what's his name? Uh uh, I'll think of it later, but there, there's just a handful of players that are that are competing and then coming out of it. And this year, actually, uh, 
this past season, Central Coast was out there filming. And so, you know, I just think you get more, you know, as the sport grows, you get more medium behind it and, and those kind of things. So I think that's how the, the, the collegiate side is really growing. It's really blown up here in the last few years, but this event's been going on for a while. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, this is really cool. Like I said, I wish when I was at K-State – uh, 2020, 2021, I would have a been better at disc golf, but B had been tapped in cause this, this would have been so much fun, um, yeah. to do. Oh, so yeah. I, it's amazing that you guys are able to give students this opportunity. And I know there's one and the name is slipping me right now. There's, there's someone in the Wichita area who's on the Emporia state team. Um, so shout out to him. Kaden? I, Kaden uh, I think, yep, that's it. Yep. There it is. Yep. Yeah, yep. I, he has a brother. I can't remember what his brother's name is. Um, yeah, he has a brother that plays as well. I think he may still be down in, in Wichita. I think, yes. I think the younger yeah. one is still in Wichita. Um, I played a turn. The only tournament I played this year, I had Caden uh, on the card. And, um, yeah, that's awesome. I should have asked him more about this um, during yeah, that event. He, he's, but... he's he's new this year. Caden is, is new to the team this year. so he's But he's super excited. He's, he's awesome. pumped. We. Man, this weekend's going to be great. We're very excited for the weekend and uh, our first event. So, Yeah, and so uh, how much advantage is there to having dynamic discs in the backyard of Emporia State? I mean, there's infinite plastic. There's probably training grounds. There's all these mm-hmm. different kinds of opportunities. Is that Does that help you guys at all, or, or is it really you know not much of a partnership? Oh, no, it's, it's definitely um... – I would say there there's a partnership there. Last year we were able to uh, give everybody bags and then a, a small allotment of discs if they wanted it. Uh, uh, DD actually provided a couple polos for the team as well, which was fantastic. Um, uh, people ask me, always ask the question. The first question asked is, "Hey, do you force them to throw DD discs?" Blah blah blah. I'm like, "No, I I, I don't. I encourage them. Hey, if you want to try something, let me know. I can get it to you." But if you have another disc that you lean on and you absolutely love, why would I want you to change that? I want you to be the best yeah. player you can be. So I'm not, I'm not by any means forcing them to throw all trilogy or, or you know, I've, I've always been an advocate of, hey, let's let's throw whatever works for you. If if something works for you, let's let's do it, right? So, uh, but yeah, DD's definitely helped and and been involved in in the city of Emporia as well. Actually, the city of Emporia put up. For the first year, I want to say somewhere around $50,000 just to get this wow. going. And, and part of that went to budgets, salaries, um, scholarships, and all that. So, uh, And then obviously ESU contributed as well. We have a couple fundraisers on Dynamic Discs website that you can go purchase, and all the proceeds go to the team for traveling and and all of that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it's uh, it, it's it's very beneficial to have, have Didi here, obviously. Um, the sport... The sport has always been here in Emporia. It's it was big in Emporia before DD blew up, but DD has definitely been a, a huge helping hand in uh, in the growth of the sport here, the here in Emporia. So, yeah, that is so amazing. That makes me very happy, and just happy in general that uh, these students are able to participate in disc golf in this way and. Uh, still able to get a, a education. And um, so last question I'm going to ask on it. So uh, earlier you had mentioned the kind of requirements to be playing. So uh, the first name that kind of pops out into my head is a Gannon Burr, for example, who mm-hmm. um, probably is still somehow 16 years old, but assuming he <laughs> yeah. is of age to go to college 
and was to go down the college route, he couldn't play collegiate disc golf because he has wins on the Pro Tour. Why is that Correct. kind of stipulation in there? Is it just because? I think it's a good question, honestly. I th- I'm assuming it's just because they didn't want uh, just a, a stacked team of professionals to come in. You know, the pros have their own tour, and, and if, uh, if you're good enough to win on tour, you have no business competing at the collegiate level, period. Fair. Right? I mean, it it, it, it it in a way takes away from the college kids, right? Having someone yeah. like him come in and, and compete and just win everything, right? So uh, it's it's competitive. The the college disc golf scene is very, very competitive and it's it's getting better and it's only gonna get better. So it's it's pretty exciting. Yeah, we gotta get some galleries out there. We gotta have some yeah. fans tailgating, well, we're, getting you know, ready. We're, we're hosting the, a regional in March, like I said, up here in Emporia, and we'd love to have as many people out that we can have come out and support that event. So, Yeah, that's absolutely amazing. I will try to be there. I cool. have some big life changes happening right around that time period. All so right. TBD All right. if, yeah. uh, if I'll be able to come, <clears> but if I can, I would absolutely love to. It seems like an amazing experience. But let's transition off of the college disc golf scene talking. Let's talk a little bit about course design. Like I had said in the intro, um, I, I am referring to you as uh, – design god on the disc golf space (laughs) um i have played a good number of the courses you've designed one that really comes to my mind is the course in andover kansas that was absolutely amazing until the tornado came through and uh wrecked that course um so where did designing kind of get started in your career so course design i was kind of I don't want to say forced into it, but it kind of felt like I was kind of forced into it in a way. Um, <clears throat> so grew up in Emporia, born and raised here in Emporia, Kansas. I actually grew up on the other side of the highway from Jones Park and was introduced to disc golf at somewhat early early age. It was high school is when I was introduced to it. And, and back then we only had one course, just Jones West. That was the only course you could play in town. Uh, shortly after that, the the middle school had put in a little pitch and putt 18, and then um, Kevin Babbitt and Ty Wheeler kind of helped get Jones East put in the ground. I think it was only a nine-hole course back then. Uh, so we had those two kind of courses in the ground, and um, I, I helped put in 18 at, at Jones East. It had a, a back nine put in out there. I helped out with that. And, you know, funny story about that. Back then, we only had 18 baskets. That's it. We only had 18 baskets and 36 holes. So instead of, you know, how you go out to the park or back in the day, you used to go out to the park and move baskets from short to long or A to B or whatever. We used to move them from east to west or west to east, you know, for wow. a month at a time. So until we could raise enough money to, to purchase baskets for both courts, which we finally did. But, um, you know, back then there was no like, I mean, there was maybe a handful of course designers out there, but you just kind of, you just did it, right? You just kind of go to your parks committee and, and figure out how we can make something happen and get approvals done. And, uh, so I, I kind of just took charge and said, Hey, I want to do this. I want to try it and see what I can do. And, uh, the first real course that I put in was Peter Pan, Peter Pan park, which was a, a great course, you know, aside from the helping I did at Jones East, but, but Peter Pan was, was my first like actual, like start to start to scratch all the way through the whole process of designing it. And I just fell in love with it, man. It was, it was so much fun. It's, it's, it's 
it's unreal, really. You know, it's it's a whole different kind of feeling putting in a course than it is going out and winning a tournament, right? So, you know, a lot of people ask me, do I miss tour? Do I miss traveling? Occasionally, sure, like watching coverage or whatever, I'll miss. I'll be like, man, I really wish I was out there competing. But the way I look at, at course design is, you know, I put in a good quality course somewhere. People are going to enjoy that course for many, many years. I could go out and win a tournament this weekend and nobody cares. You know what I mean? Like people care, but it's like I feel like I'm giving back a lot more by designing courses and, and putting good quality courses in the ground. And and that's kind of how I was kind of forced into it a little bit here and there. And then I just started getting phone calls from people saying, hey, you know, you're not travel, you're not touring anymore. We'd love to see if you'd come out and help out with a, with a property. I think the first one that I really traveled to was uh, the Hollows up in – Manchester, New Hampshire. So that was one of the first places out of Emporia um, there and then a, another spot down in Alabama. But the, a couple courses like that that were thick woods. Man, thick woods is one thing. Trying to design a course in some thick woods. You can spend days just walking through the woods and finding new new areas to put in cool holes, new fairways, new everything. So uh, that, that was my first real taste of it. And then from there, it's just been like, man, I love it. This is what I want to do. This is a hundred percent. What I want to do is, is just go out and put in quality courses across the country. Yeah, that's absolutely amazing. And I know last uh, episode I was talking with Logan Harpool and we were talking about that Alaska uh, course that was put out. That's, that's definitely on the bucket list. That's probably top tier bucket list. I want to play that. But like when you get out to a property like that, what is what is kind of your process for how you're going to get the course um, designed? Maybe is a bad expression, but when you first get to a property, where do you start? What's your starting point? So my starting point is typically working with the, the municipality, whether it's the city or a private owner, whatever it is. Where do you want this course to start? Where do you want this course to end, right? Those are kind of the two uh questions you need answered immediately is where do you want the course to start where's the parking lot you know what makes sense find that first hole find that last hole and then you've got 16 to find in between kind of thing uh it's it's usually hours and hours just walking property through the woods whatever it is and uh the woods is a lot more fun i think just because there's more variety out there right with Mm -hmm. when it's open style kind of like we have around here it's more like well this is what we got. These are the options. There's not not a lot of other options to go. This is the way we can go. We can either go this way or we can go that way. That's about it. You know, in the woods, you've got so much more room to work with. The holes can be tighter uh, because of trees and whatnot. But a lot of times, I'll just take my phone and just be walking through the woods and find find potential spots that look like a natural fairway and and drop down a, a GPS coordinate on my phone if I see a, a massive tree in the middle of the woods that I think is just phenomenal that I want to showcase a big boulder something like that I'll I'll take notes on my phone all day long and I'll go plug that back into um, my my GPS system that I have and start looking at maps you know a lot of course design is actually done from maps like Mm. Google Earth or Map Plus or you know Onyx there's a whole plethora of different uh, of networks that you could use for it but a lot of it's done figuring out where everything's at and then taking GPS coordinates throughout the whole thing. And, uh, it's, it's, it's a process. It it truly is a process, but ultimately finding that first and last hole is, is important. And I've always said, you know, when you go to a course, 
the first thing you see is that first hole. So you really want that first hole to be something special, and you really want that 18th hole to be something special because those are the two that, that people will typically talk about for the most part. Yeah, very true, very, very true. And so then once you've kind of have done that and then you go into more um, planning and figuring out other holes, are you working in a more um, overview aspect of like, okay, here's how we want it to flow? Or are you almost going hole to hole like this is going to be hole two before we think about hole three, hole two is going to be figured out, then we'll do three, then we'll do four? Or are you thinking, okay, here's how I want the first six to be and then the next six and the final six or sure. however you do it? I you know, I think it, it, a lot of it obviously is the property, the terrain, what it, what it allows you to do. But, um, but yeah, I think, I think finding, you know, don't get ahead of yourself kind of thing is, is what's really important, but you don't want to have, you don't want to fall in love with the hole right away either. Cause you may not be able to go that direction. You know, I've, I've spent time on property where, man, I really want this to be a hole. I really, really want this to be a hole. This would be the most epic showcase hole on the course but it doesn't work with the flow. So you try to avoid like falling in love with, with certain potential holes. Um, it's really making sure you have one enough room for a quality 18. That's, that's safe first and foremost, you know, and not, you're not just squeezing holes in, or you're not just, um, putting tweener holes in or, or big long walks in between holes. You know, sometimes a, a walk isn't terrible, depending on how the flow goes with the course. I've always said, hey, I don't mind walking to a hole if I'm walking to a fantastic hole, right? Mm -hmm. You know, so if, if you've got a little bit of a walk to go to, a, to, to the next hole, whether it's, hey, I got to come out of the woods here and I got to walk around the backside of this, this baseball field, because the last thing you want is, is to incorporate a hole where you're going to bring safety into play or you're going to have people throwing over a fence potentially. And if, if it's a popular sporting event or baseball games or whatever, you know, those kind of things are, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot of checklists, right. That you kind of have to go through and, and just make sure that, um, each course that I put in, I'm, I'm definitely concentrating on each in particular hole and then the overall course as a whole as well. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 So there is the focus on each hole, but it has to make sense within the confounds of the property and yep. the overarching layout of exactly. of the holes. And so do you go into the design of like, okay, I need to make sure I have six hyzer holes, six anheuser holes, a, a forehand here, a, a short right. one here. Like, is there any kind of thought in, um, or is it really just you have to be out there and see how much room you have? Because, I mean, you might have less room than you want, and therefore you're not able to have a three 500-foot holes, that kind of situation. Sure. I think I think ideally, if the property allows it, having the 6-6-6 six, six, six is, is fantastic. If you could have six holes to finish to the left, six to the right, and six kind of straight, that's great. But at the same time, when you think about that mindset, you've got – if you have six holes finishing left, six holes finishing right, well, that's 12 potential blind holes on your course too, you know? So that's True. also something that you want to kind of avoid. There's, to me, there's nothing really more frustrating than playing a new course and then having to walk three quarters of the way down the fairway just to find the basket to see where you're throwing or, or to see if it's clear too, you know? I mean, that's nature of the beast. Some, some properties, you know, there's, there's no way around that, right? But 
Um, there, there is ways to avoid it, you know, cutting keyholes here and there. But, uh, but yeah, ideally, if you can have a course that's got that much variety, that the property allows you to put that much variety into it, man, that's that's like a dream right there, right? That's kind of how the Alaska course actually kind of came to fruition, you know, going out there and, and just walking, just walking with bear spray on my hip and a, and a machete in hand and just looking over your shoulder every every two seconds because you hear a twig snap and you wonder if it's a bear chasing you down and yeah um you know we didn't run into any bear on the course but we did run into a moose on the course and and uh that's 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 a whole nother thing you got to be aware of you know what part of the country are you in what kind of threats are out there you know i you know obviously alaska you've got you got bear and moose and all those kind of crazy things and then you go to somewhere like texas where i designed a course where you've got ticks and Mm -hmm. rattlesnakes or cottonmouth snakes that that you don't even see you know what i mean so i designed a course in flower mound texas that um i think when they they cut the trees out when they went and officially had everything removed they they killed something like 25 to 30 copperheads out of that place like that's 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 borderline like hey maybe we shouldn't put a course in here It, it runs along a creek right but it's pretty sketchy. Like those, you got to know where you are, know your surroundings, and and just be careful. That's why I've always I've always liked the winter for uh, the best time to be out designing a course, especially in the woods, because uh, you don't got to really worry about snakes, you don't got to worry about ticks and those kind of things. Plus, all the leaves are down, you can kind of see sight lines a little easier, a little better. Now, obviously, it looks like a completely different animal when everything grows in, but. Uh, but wintertime is, is 100% the best time to be out there designing. Hmm. Okay. And earlier you had mentioned a uh, designer's nightmare. Can you kind of elaborate a little bit more on what that is and what maybe um, flaws others who are trying to design need to watch out for? Safety is is definitely the number one component that I see on, on older school courses. Like I would even argue – a couple of the the in Emporia there's potential that it works in Emporia because we have such a small disc golf community but in a bigger city it's it's a completely different animal right like um it's it's known right the El Dorado course for instance I I had worked with the city of El Dorado a long time ago on that property and you know in that that first meeting I was with them they said hey you know, pull out all stops. Don't worry about anything. If you need a bridge built, we'll build a bridge. If you need this, that, or the other. So I designed them the best quality layout that they could get out there. And, uh, I, I proposed it to them and then they said, no, we can't do this. Let's change it. So we had to change it. And then we had to change it again. And then finally we had a pretty decent layout out there. Then they came in and, and just installed a sidewalk through the middle of the, the whole course. And it's just like, man, you can't do that you know sidewalks people that you're you're inviting the community to come and walk the course and you can't just have blind holes with sidewalks you know just sporadically running throughout your property uh, it it can work if there's really good visual but you just you just can't you know you're just asking for trouble at that point right so to me a designer's nightmare playing a course is is seeing those kind of things where you don't have enough space in between the next tee pad and the basket or there's a, a blind hole over a hill where you have a sidewalk cutting up through the fairway or somewhat close proximity to that fairway. Uh, those kind of things. Or 
if the flow is just bad where you're playing holes and walking directly back. You know, there's there's a lot of things that, that are pretty obvious that are just kind of bad course design. But um, the thing with, with – the, the, the big thing I want to get across, I think, with course design is how many times have you gone and played a course and said, wonder why the designer did this? You know what I mean? A lot of times that's not the designer doing that. That's sometimes the city that's putting it in or it's – it's um, you know, hey, I really wanted to use this back half of the course with all these trees, but we couldn't use that portion of the property for X, Y, and Z, right? So it's 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 not always laid out on the course designer's fault or the city's fault for that matter. Things just get lost in transition or, you know, a new new employees are in and they move a basket because they think, ah, it's no big deal, we'll just move it over here, you know? So I think I think a lot of it comes down to just um using the property to its 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 most potential and uh just getting a quality layout however you can and and i don't know how many times i've i've spoke with a city and they've said hey you know we want to host worlds we want to have the biggest best championship level course you can have and the property is like you know it's just not it's just not doable right it's not feasible to put in a a quality championship level course like at a at a peter pan park here in emporia it just just the space especially with the the way golf is now man it's insane how how good the quality of players are designing for championship level versus every day is it's a big gap that's a massive massive gap and uh it's great for the sport but you know i would i would argue that what's going to be more popular in a new community a championship level course that people are going to get frustrated on or a course that the everyday player can come out and get some birdies you know and you know i think one really good example of how it has worked out was black hoof in lenexa i don't know if you've been up there and played that one yet but it's a it's a it's one of my favorites that i've put in it's it's uh it's got two tee pads on every single hole it's got two actual baskets on every single hole as well that are color coordinated from short to long and uh the long to long is 10,000 feet through the woods and the short is 4,068 or something like that wow. through the woods you know so it's like it's a big variety and and change there but anybody can go out there and play that course you know if i want to go play the tips and you want to play the shorts we can go and have a round and do that right so I think I think you're seeing more and more of that style of, of course and course designs going in, but the problem is those those people that want that true championship level course, probably sixty to seventy percent of the time they just don't have enough land or available property for something like that. Yeah, there's a course in Manhattan, Kansas, uh, Fairmont. That's pretty mm-hmm. similar to that Lenexa one where um, by the time I had left K-State, they had – I think they had been able to put a basket in all three pin locations. And I think there was just one pad instead of two or something along mm-hmm. those lines. But that really does elevate that course because you can literally change how you're playing mid-round. Exactly. You can, and and I agree with what you were saying about the do you put in a course that the masses are going to love or a championship level one. Again, I'll pull on Manhattan because that's really when I got back into disc golf. And my wife and I went to a course where the longest hole was 200 feet because mm-hmm. she could have success there and she enjoyed it and I could ace run and get birdies and stuff like that. So that's yep. my favorite course where I could have went to Fairmont and struggled the whole time and been 18 over. 
And so sure. what's more fun, yeah. I'll go to the one where I'm playing better. Yeah. And so that kind of also then leads me to your, you're talking a little bit and we'll kind of get you out of here on this one. Um, the championship level, the world's level course, what does it take in a piece of property to do that? And when you design something like that, are you thinking nowadays with how good the players have gotten of adding in artificial OB, cutting in bunkers and fairways, different kinds of obstacles to make it even harder? What, what's that kind of going through your head nowadays? Sure, sure. Well, for, for something like that, obviously budgets are going to have to be involved at a very high level because it's and I'm not saying for for my fee I'm saying for the amount of work you're going to need to come in and do all that additional work that's going to be needed to potentially be done for a property like that right Um, I've been able to design a couple of courses for the DGPT um, obviously both here in Emporia the Country Club and Jones Supreme and and Jones Supreme was man it, it was such a great course it was it was very unfortunate that parking was a nightmare, spectating was a nightmare, which is what I'll get into here in a minute. But it was such a fun course. It was a it was a, a good like variety of of holes. It's it had some length to it. It had some shorter holes to it, and 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 whatnot. It's it's um it it, it was a good complement to Emporia Country Club, which is just a beast. And I will I will put it out there that. You know, the Emporia Country Club, while it comes across on TV, is kind of boring. If you go play that course, it is it is nothing but boring. It is, it is far from boring, I should say, because it is a lot more of those rolling hills that you just don't pick up on TV. And, and obviously, we got a little wind here occasionally. As you know, in the summertime, it's pretty calm, which is why I was thrilled to have the worlds here last year in, in those perfect conditions, uh, minus the heat. But um, But, yeah, I mean... Going back to the, the the big thing about designing for DGPT or championship level, you have to have spectating room. Like that's that's all there is to it, you know. And and that's why you don't see a lot of these big 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 events in the woods because there's not enough room for spectating. At the end of the day, you know we gotta we gotta figure out what we're growing the sport for. Is it for the professional side of of disc golf, or is it for everybody that can play disc golf? Right, because the professional side, while it's great, uh, spectating is getting bigger and bigger. You know, there's more and more people traveling and, and going out just to watch events. We've had a lot of success with spectating in Emporia, but it's typically when we host an AM event at the same time, and these these AMs are getting done, or they don't play maybe on that Sunday, so they can come out and spectate. Right, so I mean, like the Country Club, it just sets up perfect for spectating. I mean, the ropes that they put out there. All of that stuff, it's it's well thought out ahead of time. So yes, in order to put in a true championship level course, you have to have just so much land. I mean, you're talking an average of you know four or five acres a hole. About you know as whereas a a a everyday course, you can get away with a a nine hole pitch and putt and like a ten acre park probably right. So something smaller on that scale, but for something big championship level. It's it's tough. Yeah, the artificial OB, you either hate it or you love it. You know, it's to me, the people that complain about it and say it needs to go away, I, I disagree with that. While I think I would love to see more woods golf incorporated in the tour, 
but artificial OB, in my opinion, has a has a spot for disc golf. It's just a style of course. It's no different than golf. They have link style course, and that's basically what it is. And that's what we have here. And we do a pretty damn good job with what we have to work with, you know, here in Emporia and and uh, down in Wichita. Courses down there are, are a lot of fun to come out and play. Kansas City. I've always said Kansas City is one of the best cities. Uh, put them up to anybody as far as disc golf goes, and KC is definitely on, on, on that list of best cities to play disc golf in. Uh, I could be biased because I grew up playing up there and um, – Going to events, KC Wide Open has been one of my favorite events. It may have been one of my longest played events too, you know. So, uh, yeah, it's it's challenging designing a championship level course if you don't have spectating in your mind, and and the artificial OB is kind of needed in in that that realm, right? So, yeah. Yeah, that makes complete sense to me, and and I feel we're gonna have to continue to move in a position where we can get more fans to these events to continue to see disc golf uh, climb in popularity and success. It's not just yeah. going to be through the live stream every weekend. So absolutely love hearing your answer on that. Completely agree. I'll tell you what, man, that Waterworks course is something else. It, oh, yeah. it really is amazing. I've played it once at my bachelor party, and that was probably one of my favorite disc golf events um, and courses to go play. But nonetheless, I've t- hold you for almost an hour here, Eric. I definitely appreciate getting to learn so much more from you today. Where can people reach out to you, learn more about your story? If they want you to come and design on their property, where can people go to? Uh, typically, the easiest way to, to get a hold of me for course design is just my email, which is mccabe at dynamicdiscs.com. That's one of the easiest ways to, to reach out. And you can obviously follow me on all the socials. It's pretty easy to find Eric McCabe. Uh, pretty active on Instagram and YouTube and uh, Facebook occasionally. But, you know, uh, Instagram and YouTube are my, my two favorites probably to, to uh, interact with people. So those, those are the three platforms you can reach out. Email being the easiest. And it's just my last name at dynamicdiscs.com. Awesome. Well, like I said, Eric, thank you so much for joining us on the show tonight. Was really glad to be able to talk to you. If you guys enjoyed this episode and you want more content, listen to last week's episode with Logan Harpool. If you're interested about this Alaska course that we hinted at and talked a little bit about in this episode, you're one going to go listen to that episode. Logan played in the Alaskan State Championship there last year. He gives his experience on it and talks about that course design as well. Absolutely amazing episode. So make sure you go over and check that one out and we'll see you guys next week.